0: Welcome to Scavengers Horde, we're a Star Wars podcast offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy. Be it the latest show on Disney+, Plus or a Weird Legends novelisation you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: This is episode 176, and it's 4th of March, 2022. We like to kick things off by recommending a piece of media. A book, a film, a show that we've enjoyed and want to put on people's radar. So, Kirsty, what would you like to highlight?
1: Um, I'm going to start with two books, both about movies. Nice. Um, the first one is called From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy by Scott Meslow. Hmm. Uh, it's what it sounds like. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, a nice history and summation of romantic comedy as a genre. Um, hmm it- Doesn't go all the way back to, like, Moonstruck. I think it starts with when Harry met Sally, but in my opinion, that's a a good place to start, even though Moonstruck is one of my favourites.
0: Yeah, so I was going to ask that question, actually, because obviously you've had romantic comedies pretty much as long as you've had cinema, you know, so you could go back, I don't know, to, like, the 1910s if you really wanted to, but, yeah, the modern rom-com, I guess, is quite a specific thing.
1: Yeah, it's quite focused, so we really wanted to start with, like, the Nora Ephron, Meg Ryan era, and then mm-hmm. kind of the dips into the, like, the late 2000s and then kind of the revival with Netflix and other streaming. Yeah. Um, and if you're a fan of that genre, I just recommend it. I listened to an audiobook and had a great time of it that way. Um, the chapters tend to focus on specific creators or like a certain movie or like a trope. Like There's kind of different emphasis throughout Um, and I learned a lot about the history and development of movies that I love Um, Uh so there might be a lot in there that people already know about but I I found a lot of new stuff to me interesting great Um, yeah recommend that one and uh, I just finished today Blood Sweat and Chrome the wild and true story of Mad Max Fury Road and that's by Kyle Buchanan TLJ stands might know him as the guy who revealed to the world in his first reactions that there was going to be a Kylo shirtless scene. <laughs> <laughs> if the name sounds familiar to you.
0: <laughs> Making him an eternal legend. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but I've always enjoyed following him and like, hearing his takes on movies and stuff. He's funny. Um, and Mad Max Fury Road, and I know you feel the same, it's one of my favourite action movies probably ever, definitely in the last decade.
0: Yeah, Um, it's really fantastic. I want to watch it again. Actually, it's been too long. Yeah, well, if you listen,
1: if you listen or read this book, um, it'll make you feel that way. Definitely, nice. Uh, Such an interesting. I I knew that there was like a long-winded, dramatic. You know, it was over the course of decades the development of this movie, but actually going into the the history in detail and the struggles that they had to actually get that movie made, pretty fascinating, and makes you appreciate it more.
0: Fabulous. Awesome. And I know that there is some like juicy interpersonal stuff in that book, right?
1: Yeah, again, it's stuff that people might have already known about if they were paying attention to things as they were going on. I wasn't. Um, I remember, I have strong memories of seeing this movie for the first time in cinemas, but I hadn't been following its actual development and production before. Um, yeah, it seems like Tom Hardy and Charlize did not get on very well.
0: That was a shame, but it makes for an interesting story.
1: Did you know that their stunt doubles got married?
0: Ooh, no, I did not <laughs> know that. That's so cute! Oh yeah. my god, that, that's wonderfully cyclical that the actual on-screen actors hated each other, but their doubles fell in love. That's really beautiful.
1: It, the way that they describe it, it does. Like, Charlie's had just adopted a baby. She flew out to Namibia. Like there were, it was just very intense time and i'm not excusing tom's behavior because it sounds like he was very unprofessional and you know kept people waiting on set for hours she was saying in the book that looking back she hadn't really appreciated how hard it must have been for him to like step into that role mm. cuz i actually haven't seen the old mad max movies i need to yeah, but um, like a lot of people understandably i guess only wanted to associate mel gibson with that role um however you feel about mel gibson as a person himself i guess that would like still apply to you know people get very strongly associated with certain roles don't they yeah so it would be he'd probably feel like there were big shoes to fill but i, I don't think that excuses terrible behavior because at the end of the day that's not other actors problems is it so. no
0: absolutely not it yeah, it's a bit of like an ego thing. I think yeah, You're insecure. Yeah, um, and yeah, you can understand the insecurity, but it's not an excuse to treat others badly or be unprofessional.
1: Exactly. I think that was maybe Charlie's just trying to offer an olive branch or something. But I, I yeah. don't know these people. But anyway, it was interesting. It's quite presented as a oral history, so it the structure might bother some people because it's very much like jumping around between like snippets of interviews from all of these different people. Mm-hmm. Um. And then like, he ties it together in a narrative so each chapter focuses on a different segment of of how this movie came to be.
0: Yeah, so that sounds really fascinating.
1: Yeah, you hear from lots of different people involved.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely try and check that one out. I have a few books on the go at the moment so I've been a bit busy with a little something that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I get through the backlog I'll try and get to that one.
1: And movie-wise I've kind of been all over the place because I was still in rom-com mode Um, like just after we recorded last time. So I was watching films like um, Punch Drunk Love and um, Something's Gotta Give. And then that that kind of, I was like in Jack Nicholson mode. So I started on like The Departed (laughs) and then I wanted more Scorsese. So I was watching Mean Streets and um, yeah, I just went everywhere. But um, this week is Batman week. So I watched um, Good Time. Um, That's Robert Pattinson and it's directed by the Safdie Brothers. And of yeah. course, Benny Safdie's in it too. Um, oh, I can't say I enjoyed it because it's an incredibly stressful movie to watch. If you've seen Uncut Gems, you know what I'm talking about. Their films are very intense. Yes. Uh, so it wasn't a good time, but it was a good movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've seen Good Time and I've only seen it once, actually. I saw it in the cinema. I didn't really enjoy it at all. <laughs> uh, but I could... Re- I mean, It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I could admire it, you know, it's clearly yeah. very well made as cinema, um, but yeah, it's stressful and I, it, again, I can't speak with confidence because it's been a few years, but I just remember finding everyone in it deeply obnoxious. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yes. And that's well, like, not, I can't stand well. you. <laughs> it's uh, it's rough going, yeah. but uh, this was funny actually because this was the night that we wanted to watch The Age of Innocence. Um, oh! Very different vibe.
0: Yes. <laughs> And I presume you haven't quite got to that yet.
1: We haven't, unfortunately. <laughs> hoping to this weekend. Yeah. And I'll at talk least about it next free. time if we do.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: No, that's good. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, so
0: there's been one film that I really did love and feel passionate about, and that was Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy by Ryosuke Hamaguchi, um, who is particularly famous right now because in the same year which is incredible to me he also directed drive my car which has been nominated for several oscars i believe and i've also seen drive my car and it is very good but drive my car is also three hours long (laughs) and um i have this thing where there are really long films where i can enjoy them i can admire them but I very rarely think they justify the length, and mm. that's kind of where I am with *Drive My Car*. Oh. I think it's a very good, well-made film. It did not need to be three hours long, in my opinion. Um, lots of people disagree with me. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of film, a lot of driving the car. Um, that's on
1: uh, HBO Max now, so I'm trying. I'm gonna watch- try and watch it this week.
0: Oh yeah, no, definitely do. I I do recommend it, and it's probably you know a more palatable watch at home as well. So watch it in the cinema, and obviously. You know, sitting three hours straight in a cinema is quite a task.
1: This might sound weird, but I kind of love watching people drive in movies. Oh, then then
0: you're in for a treat, (laughs) Kirsty. You're going to love it. You're going to have a fantastic time. Um, But yeah, to focus on what I have actually watched recently. um, So it was this film called Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. And the structure of this film is it's like three short stories, essentially, and each takes about 40 minutes, I suppose. So I guess it's like three longish short films made into a feature film. And they're all linked by the idea of chance. They're mostly like stories about love and romance in some way. But all quite different types of relationships. And very different protagonists and how they're characterised. So... In the first story, you have two young women and one of them finds out that her best friend's new boyfriend is her ex-boyfriend and a series of circumstances ensue that I won't go into but it's fun to watch. In the second one, you have a married mother and she's having an affair with, with a student he feels like he was wronged by his professor at a university and so the student persuades his lover to be a honey trap essentially for the professor to like go in and seduce him and ruin his reputation but it doesn't go as you'd think and then in the final story um a woman goes back to a, her old hometown in the hope of finding like someone that she had her first relationship with with when she was a teenager essentially and she spots a woman on an escalator and she feels this real jolt of familiarity and the woman you know appears the same and invites her back to her house but again nothing is what it seems um and yeah so it's all is these three short stories all with a really engaging hook to them you know an interesting premise and Yeah, it's just really well done. You know, it's very much focused on their performances and the script. It's very, like, unfussy filmmaking. You know, there's not many stylistic tricks. It's all very simple and stripped back. But it's really, really well executed. And I found it really fascinating and really quite moving in the end as well. I felt that emotional hit, you know, I want when I think that I feel you should really get from a great film. So, yeah, I really, really recommend this one. And I'm in the edgelord club who thinks it was better than drive my car. So shoot me. Um, but yeah, I think it's very good. So try and seek it out if you can. I'm not sure if it's available on streaming in the U- in the US, but it's only just come out in cinemas in the UK.
1: Oh, OK. It's brand new. Uh,
0: yes, in the UK. I think it probably got a released in the US last year in cinemas because we often wait ages for things, you know. OK. Um,
1: so, Wait, so yeah. it came out the same year as Drive My Car? Yep. Wow.
0: It's very impressive. They're not short <laughs> films, like Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is two hours, and Drive My Car is three hours, so oh that's a lot of movies. <laughs> well and done. yeah, the, the quality of them is <laughs> incredible, you know, okay. so, serious kudos. It's very impressive.
1: Okay, I'll add that to my list.
0: Yeah, nice, I hope you enjoy it, and yeah, like you say, Drive My Car should be instantly accessible to you, so... Yeah, you're probably going to watch some Hamaguchi in the near future, which is fun.
1: Yeah, that and West Side Story are the big ones to come up this week.
0: Oh my god, I'm so excited for you to watch West Side Story. I, I am Cursely. excited to watch it,
1: because obviously it's been, yeah, highly praised by everyone. Um,
0: yeah, I just hope it isn't one of those situations, you know, where you've seen everyone giving it all these five-star reviews and stuff, and then you see it and you're like, ah. you know, Oh because no, I, I think th- sometimes it can, you, you know, you can like... If it doesn't quite match up to those sky-high expectations, you know, you don't enjoy it so much. So I guess.
1: I'm looking forward to it, but it's it's not one that I'm like, I don't know, I can't explain it. I'm anticipating it, but not, like, <laughs> the one that I've been looking forward to. Yeah, you're um, not jumping up and down in your seat. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I went on the, the app this week and I ended up watching the French Dispatch instead, because that came up maybe last week, maybe the week before. Yeah. So I'm still kind of playing catch-up. Um, no, that's fair. But yeah, just very quickly, so I
0: know you've already given your recommendations, but what did you think about that?
1: Oh, I I always enjoy Wes Anderson. But yes. he's kind of a known quantity, isn't he? So oh, yeah. You just have to be in the mood for that particular type of film and then it and then it yeah. works. Yeah. It's very, very beautiful, charming.
0: but he does feel like the SNL sketch version of himself. At this point. I
1: don't mind. You know, I kind of love it when directors have their styles. Yeah, and, it's true. And he know, definitely has a
0: style. So I guess it's yeah. a bit like Lynch, isn't it? Like Lynch is an incredibly distinctive style yeah. to his films and it's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. It's like you kind of know what you're getting into and not in a way that like everything's boring, but just <laughs> sure. like you, yeah, you that's know, just what you associate with that artist. It's great.
0: Yeah. No, no, that's really good. But it also
1: it's valid if it's not someone's cup of tea, you know? Yeah. Then no, they know course. to avoid him.
0: <laughs> no, no. It's very true. Um, yeah and just on on a slightly more somber note um I've got to be honest and say that I've spent much of the last week and a bit watching BBC News channel um because obviously Russia has invaded Ukraine um and yeah it's a very bleak and sad and distressing situation like any war you know and it's very hard to see hundreds of thousands of civilians being displaced and having to leave their homes and people being under constant threat and just existing in a state of terror, it's really awful. I'd hope that everyone listening to this podcast knows and recognises that that's awful. But one of the main things that I personally have been following and tracking throughout this crisis is the media coverage. And again, obviously, it's not a secret, you know, that there's heavy um, state censorship in Russia, you know, that it's not really a free media That country, Um, and I just wanted to give BBC News a shout out essentially under the circumstances because, like, there's been lots of criticism in the UK recently for the BBC, and the Conservatives have threatened to cut their funding essentially over the next decade, which is quite a frightening prospect to me because of what we stand to lose. And that's things like the BBC World Service, you know, which puts out news in many different languages in all corners of the world. And obviously, they have correspondents in many different countries reporting in local languages and sharing events from across the world to people who need to know these things, you know, and making things known when perhaps the news in that country will not make it known, as is the case in Russia. And, yeah, so I just really wanted to use this as an opportunity to advocate for high-quality, impartial journalism. And I think that's one of the things the BBC does best. So, yeah watch good quality news.
1: In the age of social media, it can be really tempting just to get your news directly from social media. Yeah. But that, you know, as we have seen many times over and over, can be a source of real misinformation. It can be dangerous.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I've seen tweets pop up on my feed, you know, and they're trying to summarize an incredibly complicated and fractious situation in, I don't know, 20 words, and is doomed to fail, you know, at some points you need more in-depth, thorough journalism than you could possibly find on Twitter, and Twitter's great in lots of ways, you know, it can lead you to things, like it's great for putting things on your radar, but it can also be very misleading, and yeah, it can be highly imbalanced and stuff, and present a skewed picture of the world, so always read beyond the tweets, essentially, always look at where the information's coming from, and Try and read more longer format journalism of you possibly of the time. Mm. <sighs> okay, yeah, sorry. Um, let's move on because we do have a lot to cover this time, and we do want to focus on what the usual programming is. Um, despite everything. So yeah, there's not really a good way to make the transition <laughs> from that, which I dug myself into. Um, but yeah, there's really not much news this week relative to the Wars world. Um. In contrast to last week, so we actually had a lot to talk about then, I feel like the only thing of real significance in the world of Star Wars that's happened in the last few weeks is that the Star Wars Hotel has officially opened. Would you agree with that assessment, Kirsty?
1: I guess so. Yeah, because last <laughs> time we covered the Kenobi stuff, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And there has not been a trailer. Not that I seriously expected there would be one, but I feel like everyone's perpetually waiting for a trailer that's not arriving, so... Yeah, I'd say people should temper their expectations for that. Um, But yeah, so the first reviews, reports, reactions to this Star Wars hotel have come out. It seems like a bunch of influencers were invited um, for, you know, like a preview event where they got to experience what it's going to be like. Not jealous at all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to pretend to be jealous. No, (laughs) don't be stupid. No, I was
1: just like, let's just, you know like last time we were talking about it th- this kind of thing just doesn't really appeal to us personally but no. great to see others enjoying it you know exactly. that i will enjoy
0: yeah no it's like one of the main things i wanted to say here is our friends sky talkers who it was quite a while ago now but they have been on this podcast before um charlotte and caitlin um they went um at disney's invitation i believe um and that's honestly so great i can't think of better people to go to this sort of thing you know because they're so lovely and they're so enthusiastic and yeah just seeing their faces and their tiktoks and stuff they looked like they were in seventh heaven you know, so I was really glad to see it make um, our friends so happy. So, yeah, yeah, that
1: couldn't have happened to two better people. So I was really pleased to see that. Yeah,
0: it was really great. And they also provided great coverage of the Rain Kylo encounter.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can count on them for that.
0: Yeah, which I, I very much appreciated. I still find the whole concept very funny because I think it's in the Tross novelization. They're very adamant in that that um Rain Kylo hadn't met between Last Jedi and Tross. And I was like, oh no, they met at the Stars Hotel. It's like, okay, fine. Well,
1: I haven't read the novelization, so does it specify that they haven't met or they haven't had a force bond moment?
0: That's a good question. Mm. I, I think I've only honestly I've only read X-Ups. and again I, I do hope that at some point we'll get around to the sequel novelizations because neither of us have read that rise of skywalker one we're not going to be doing that immediately by any means um but at some point in the future that's potentially on the table um so yeah we'll we'll we'll, um report back essentially (laughs) on what we find if we get there um
1: and is this meant to be like canon in the like it sits (laughs) alongside the movies as one story
0: i think they say it is don't they because i know i don't know how that works because so I know Story Group was involved in coming up with it, right? Hmm. Um, I, again, I find it difficult to kind of reason it into canon, you know, because <laughs> it's like a theme park. I, and I know the hotel's not quite the theme park, but it's like theme park adjacent.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people won't experience that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it feels like, look, Rain Kylo are two of your main characters the sequels. It's kind of a big deal, you know, if they did have this meeting. Well, it's a big deal to us. Um, And yeah, it's a bit of a shame that that turns into something you can only experience if you pay the princely sum of $4,000 or however much it is to go to this hotel.
1: Yeah, the prices are a bit shocking, honestly.
0: Yeah, it is quite eye-watering.
1: I guess that's what a lot of the reviews were kind of covering, whether they felt personally, whether it was worth the money. And of course, these people are going for free, so it might be hard to make that call, but you put yourself in the the shoes of someone who's kind of saving up their money to go and it's is it two nights maybe three yeah, days something um, like that
0: i think it maybe three nights but then you leave you know early on the final day yeah um yeah it's actually on that note we have some comments from amy ratcliffe at nerdist could you read out what she had to say about the experience and what she felt of like the cost benefit part of the mm-hmm. equation
1: when Disney revealed pricing for Galactic Star Cruiser last August, it had an impact, probably not the one Disney wanted. A sample price for two people in a standard cabin is $4,809. It's a lot of money, a price that certainly sets expectations at a high level. So the question that pops up repeatedly is Is Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser worth the money? The question is tough to answer. For one thing, I experienced Galactic Star Cruiser as part of a complimentary press preview. Is a free trip worth it? Of course, but also whether something is worth it is wildly subjective and depends upon a number of individual factors. If you love Star Wars and want to commit to this experience in full by wearing costumes and interacting with characters and living your best Star Wars life, you'll enjoy yourself. You will 100% need to collapse into a pile and rest at the end of your voyage, but I believe you will walk away feeling Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser was worth the cost.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that seems to me like quite a fair and balanced assessment, um, because I think I know myself well enough to know that I'm not that type of person. Mm. Yeah, so I like I um have you been to secret cinema in the UK, Kirsty? No, I haven't, but
1: I've I've heard about it.
0: Yeah, so if anyone doesn't know, it's like an immersive cinema experience. So I've only been once. I went to one for Blade Runner. Um, and it was a really great experience. They sort of like recreate the futuristic city in the huge warehouse, essentially. And you're expected to go in a costume. You're sort of taken into the environment by an actor who's sort of acting like you're, you're all part of the resistance or whatever in the movie. Um, and yeah, there was actual rain inside the warehouse. So it was all very extravagant and had high production quality. And it was really fun, but I only needed to do that for like two hours. You know, mm-hmm. and then the movie started and then like it was back to real life so it's the sort of thing I could see myself enjoying it so I know you know last time I was like I would not do this even if it was free but like I could do it for like a few hours you know just as like a little taster thing but I think as Amy says I just feel like I'd be completely exhausted if I was in that environment for several days non-stop
1: mm. do they do I wonder if they'll eventually offer like a day trip where you don't have to stay there overnight, but you can like walk around it and do the day activities.
0: That's a really good suggestion. I, I do wonder if they'd consider that.
1: Because um, I wouldn't want to stay there overnight.
0: Yeah. I think from having seen like video and stuff in the press preview, another concern of mine would be that everything seemed very congested and busy. Mm. And obviously that's particularly a concern around COVID. Yeah, But just beyond covid you know i tend to feel a bit freaked out in really busy packed spaces you know at like open spaces and again part of the like gimmick of star cruiser is that you are on a spaceship in
1: no in, windows
0: yeah exactly no windows <laughs> and yeah i f- can't help but think it would feel quite claustrophobic yeah. especially with so many people in there with you
1: i guess it depends the kind of person you are but i think i would feel the same way like i need some fresh air sometimes
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah like I think it's really great to see it though um and I have really enjoyed seeing some you know like YouTube reviews where they're like going into detail about all the food they've been eating and the food does look really nice to be honest I was impressed the drinks all look good yeah great cocktails (laughs) and I'm not much of a drinker but I do love a good cocktail I must say so I appreciated that um although i must say the cabins just reminded me of like travel lodge or well okay so this is the thing
1: <laughs> and i've never been on a real cruise but I, you sure. know i'm guessing it can be similar and the space is limited right they're trying to be very efficient yes so the bed looks fine but then you've got like that little bunk bed bit and then apparently there's like a fold away bed too and i'm i'm just like it's a lot of money for that standard of comfort Yeah. And I know that's not where your money's going. It's going into the experience. And this is part of the Star Wars experience that there wouldn't be room. But I'm like, I don't need to experience that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, can you imagine if, I don't know, it's like two parents and three kids and stuff in that tiny space. (laughs) Yeah. And that's your
1: space to retire to at the end of the day and relax. And I just wouldn't find that relaxing. Yeah.
0: And I just find it especially interesting based on and again, you're much better positioned to speak to this than me, Kirsty. But from my very limited experiences in America, the the order of the day is big. Everything's big. Hotel rooms are big. And I know they're not always big. I have stayed in small hotel rooms in America. But I feel like the default is, you know, a lot of space and also for far less money will be without the interactive souls element and yeah I'm just very curious to see the long-term prospects of it I guess you know in terms of the American public and whether people will really be down for that yeah, yeah I guess I'm that's curious. why it
1: is for like a two night stay because it is like that's such a small time maybe they know that people wouldn't want to stay much longer yeah. than that
0: exactly i think that's probably everything he wanted to say about the galactic star cruiser would you agree Kirsty?
1: yeah i mean i would just say if you're interested in hearing more you should obviously go to the sources that have actually been (laughs) been there yes Yes. we're just kind of commenting on the ones that we've noticed um i don't know if jenny nicholson's video is out she wasn't part of the initial like press preview right
0: no, but I'm eagerly yeah. anticipating her reaction because she's so enthusiastic, also critical in certain fair respects. You know, which she has fully has the right to be. Um, but yeah, her video's always really entertaining, so I'm curious to see what her take on it is.
1: I, th- I think she's been quite critical so far in the lead up because she's been trying to like call and ask questions about how things are going to work, and she's not really getting satisfactory answers. Yes. Um. So it'll be interesting to see what she made of it once she got there and she's paying I think so that'll give her a different perspective too
0: yeah no no exactly when that hard under cash is yeah going towards it it's gonna feel a bit different than if it's a freebie mm-hmm.
1: um
0: but yeah check out the sky talkers they've done loads of coverage on it on tiktok I think they've done a podcast on it too haven't yeah. had a chance to listen to the podcast but I'm sure it's great mm-hmm. um okay great so then that brings us to our main attraction um which is something we've I think we've probably teased it before, um, but yeah, let's say we've teased it. Um, it's the Legends novel, The Courtship of Princess Leia, by Dave Wolverton. Um, yeah, so this should be quite a fun discussion. It's a pretty wild book. Um, but yeah, just to give people context, could you read out the publisher's summary, please, Kirsty?
1: hmm Darth Vader and the Emperor are dead, but the Empire lives on, and the Alliance must continue the struggle with dwindling supplies of cash and resources. Princess Leia, seeking rich, powerful allies to bring into the Alliance and a new planet as a home for the influential refugees of Alderaan, considers a proposal that could tip the balance of power against the evil empire. The Hapes Consortium, a cluster of 63 high-tech worlds, is ruled by the Queen Mother, who wants Leia to marry her son. The dashing and wealthy prince is older. When Han Solo hears the news of Leia's impending nuptials, he reacts with shock Han always dreamed of marrying Leia himself, but in spite of his heroic exploits, he feels that she sees him as nothing more than a shiftless rogue and Corellian pirate, unworthy of her hand. Now he makes a desperate last gamble to win her back, tricking Leia into accompanying him. Han flees with her to the beautiful and untamed planet Daphimir, where he hopes to win her heart. Fearing the Imperious Queen's reaction to Han's rash move, Luke Skywalker forms an unlikely alliance with Prince Alda to track down the runaways. Luke has been traveling the far reaches of the galaxy in search of the scattered lore of the Jedi Knights, but when he, R2, and his older set off to Dathomir, Luke little suspects that it is only the beginning of an adventure that will lead to the discovery of an awesome treasure, a group of Force-trained witches, and a showdown with an invincible foe. Wow. <laughs> it's a lot going on in this book.
0: Yeah, it, it's quite something. Um... So yeah, we will get to our initial opinions, but first of all, I wanted to give people context for this, because this is very unlike anything we've talked about before, I think. So we have, strictly speaking, discussed Legends novels before, because we've discussed novelizations for episodes one through six, which are all technically um, Legends material now. And we've also read the classic Splinter of the Mind's Eye, <laughs> um, which that's kind of just so disconnected and weird it doesn't even have anything to do with legends really you know it's just kind of like its own weirdo thing that came out in the 70s and then people were like i don't know what to do with this and just sort of forgot well they didn't forget but they kind of ignored it um so yeah we've discussed that but this is the first thing that we've read that's part of like the proper legends canon i suppose you know from the 90s when it really started ramping up and I guess what really kicked it all off was the Timothy Zahn Fraun trilogy, which we have not read. And honestly, reading this at the beginning, I was a bit bewildered because, you know, there's lots of setup about there being all these Imperial remnants. And I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, so this not kind of the backdrop I'm familiar with, I guess. Actually, we know the Imperial remnants after Return of the Jedi in the new canon. You know, that's still a thing. But I feel like they take a very different form in this book you know and in the old legends canon from the 90s um did you get that vibe kirsty i just felt like they had much more like structure that was still intact in this book than i'm familiar with
1: yeah but i guess in a way that makes sense because if they wanted to do this you know legends spin-off or whatever they called it back then the eu um Mm -hmm. they had to kind of keep the empire around so that there were you know more enemies to defeat yeah um so yeah it's strange because if you watch the movies in isolation it does kind of just that's the end the empire's defeated let's party but obviously they can't do that if they want to tell more stories in that universe so
0: yeah although then again they did in a way sort of combat it by bringing in people like Fraun and um
1: but Fraun is part of the empire
0: yeah but i guess he's you know like his some um, species is a new thing for oh legends, yeah. i think but yeah, you're right. They they obviously did like blend everything with the empire, you know, and that sort of goes on here too. It's like the Night Sisters are technically villains in this book, but they're kind of like it, the person in charge of them is an Imperial. I think is the vibe I got. Um, but kind of like an Imperial warlord. It, I, I was very confused. <laughs> um, but again, I felt like I can't judge this book negatively for that because I'm reading it without having read a bunch of books that came before it, you know. So. I know that i'm missing context yeah that's okay
1: yeah it's not really the start of the story is it is meant to follow on from whatever came just before and um i still think it's cool in that it like it brings us new settings like daffamir so it is the start to some things in a way in terms of like introducing the night sisters and stuff
0: yeah no it does some really cool war building stuff um yeah, so when researching this thing, I was curious to hear from Dave Wolverton himself. Um, he passed away recently, which is very sad. Um, but yeah, there's still quite a few interviews of him available online, which was really good to read. Um, I found one on Star Wars interviews in particular. Um, and I was just wondering if you could read out the first part of that that I've highlighted Cassidy. hmm
1: Your first Star Wars book was The Courtship of Princess Leia. What was your inspiration while writing this book and what directions did you get from Lucasfilm? With this book, I had watched a goofy old comedy with my wife called Seven Brides for Seven Brothers just a couple of nights before I was asked to do the novel. I always thought that it was an interesting plot, and when I heard that Leia and Han Solo had gotten married in Zahn's book, my first thought was, whoa, not so fast! there have to be some fireworks for something that significant. So I knew that I wanted to do a romance. I also felt that there was a lot of humour in the Star Wars movies, but I hadn't seen it in the novels. I think that as a writer, when you get a job like this, you often start to feel pretty serious, and your sense of humour goes out the window. So I wanted to have some big, fun ideas. As far as Lucasfilm went, they were really very generous with the franchise. They let me come up with my own plot, but they just wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything that would cast the characters in too negative of a light. So they asked me to create and submit an outline. I had to write it very fast, almost overnight, because they were in a hurry. So I got some ideas, had a little brainstorming meeting with some of my other fanish friends, and really was able to come up with my storyline pretty quickly. Since I already knew the characters pretty well, it saved a lot of time over writing a normal novel where you have to develop your own characters.
0: Yeah, and I just thought it was some really interesting background. Um, just to give people context who might not know, I wanted to briefly describe the plot to Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Because <laughs> um, I've not seen this movie. It, I know it was a very popular movie from the 50s. um, But yeah, I doubt many people listening will have seen it. So, during the 1850s, Millie, a pretty young cook marries Adam, a grizzled woodsman, after a brief courtship. When the two return to Adam's farm, Millie is shocked to meet his six ill-mannered brothers, <laughs> all of whom live in his cabin. One She promptly begins teaching the brothers proper behaviour, and most importantly, how to court a woman. But after the brothers kidnap six local girls during a local, during a town barn raising, a group of indignant villagers tries to track them down. <laughs> Yeah. So that but Star Wars. That's this book, basically.
1: Mm. I, I see it. I mean I've I've seen a, a theatre production of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, but not the movie. But oh. Okay. I have to think it's pretty much the same. Yeah. And yeah, you can you can see the influence on this book for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: very much. No, <laughs> but it's, it's just there's, it's just, there's just kind definitely bride kidnapping going on, but I will also give it the credit and say there's also husband kidnapping going on. So it's <laughs> yes. equal opportunities in that regard.
1: It's definitely, like, farcical, but, like, he he's self-aware that he's talking about the humour, so it's not supposed to be super serious. I think this book gets a lot of a lot of flack that it doesn't entirely deserve.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, you know, I'm not sure if I've given it a rating. I wouldn't give it a super high rating, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that I had a great time reading it you know I was literally reading it in the bath and laughing out loud really loudly to myself
1: it's nice to get Star Wars books like that
0: no it is it was really great and honestly I was laughing so much that I was like oh my god I'm glad I love my own (laughs) (laughs) if I was still in my old flat share people would think I was crazy (laughs) just sat in the bath like giggling like a maniac (laughs) um but yeah no it's really entertaining um and yeah it's it's just a really interesting thing to me with this book—the idea of it being a romance, because Kirsty and I both have copies of this book that have the same cover art, I believe. And it's basically like a head and shoulders pro um picture of Leia, you know, looking very pretty, like in a wedding dress and a headband and stuff. You know, it's obviously like a bridal look essentially. And there's like Han Solo looking very dapper, and then there's just like a generic handsome man in front of. Them. <laughs> And, you know, it has like real romance novel vibes, you know, and I think that was part of why it looked so appealing because I was like, okay, a bona fide romantic Star Wars book. Yes, this is what I want to see. You know, so we have had a few others like that, you know, like Dark Disciple is romantic, um, Lost Stars is obviously romantic, but I- I'll say that they're in the minority, you know, there's not many of them. <laughs> and so I was a bit disappointed reading this to find that. There is romance, but there's not as much of it as I might have thought based on that cover. Would you agree with that assessment? Kurt? Yeah, because it's
1: kind of more like the pretext, right? That it's like, oh, um, well, like what, what we were saying before with the, the summary from the publisher that... They, they need to like build these alliances. So Leia's considering marrying this guy that she barely knows, but oh, is she in love with Han? And then hijinks ensue. Like Han kidnaps her and takes her to this place to try and remind her that she loves him. And it all gets like, it's very silly very quickly. It's entertaining, yeah. but it's definitely, you shouldn't go in expecting an actual like romance novel. No, <laughs> so if that's so. your expectation, you know, and it worked in reverse. You know, some people I saw on Goodreads were like, oh, I really thought this was going to be a romance, but actually it was a really fun adventure and the, the romance is just kind of the beginning and the end. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, and one of the most fascinating aspects of that to me is so like the cover of the copy that Kirsty and I have, the romantic cover, I will call it, that was what was on the first edition. So when it was initially published in hardback and my understanding from the research I've done is that that hardback... It did decent numbers, but it sold nowhere near as many copies as previous Star Wars Legends books had. Um, and so they reissued it in paperback with a decidedly more action-oriented looking cover, where it's like Leia in the Endor outfit, you know, the military fatigues sort with of pistol. And it's got Luke on there, and it's got Han, and it's got like a gnarly-looking Rancor in the background looking like it <laughs> wants to eat them. <laughs> and it's just such night and day contrast in terms of what they're focusing on in the covers. But I'd be lying if I said that the second more action oriented sorry I keep on saying I'd be lying. Um but the second cover, the action oriented cover, is actually way more reflective of the actual contents of the book. Like yeah, for example, no, by agree. including for example, by including Luke, you know, Luke is actually quite a significant character in this book. And he's not there on that first edition cover at all. So clearly they thought, oh shit, we should actually make it clear to people that Luke is involved. (laughs) I was like (laughs)
1: squinting at the little picture of his older and I was like, is that him or is that Luke?
0: (laughs) (laughs) If that were Luke, he would have had to have undergone a serious fashion revolution. Well, it's uh, because,
1: and this was as I was reading it, because I was like, oh, I didn't expect Luke to play such a big part in this book.
0: I know, right? I think (laughs) I have in my notes that I was disappointed. (laughs) And I know that's mean. I know it's like irrational. So, oh, God, Luke. But I just feel like he gets so much attention in Star Wars media generally that I was looking forward to something that's just about Leia and Han. So, yeah, I was like, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> no, I get that. I actually did enjoy Luke's story, but like that was a surprise. I just didn't expect him to be a major character. Yeah. But I guess it makes sense for him to team up with his older, and you need like the, the four Spidey Sense where they're going um but yeah i liked the idea of him trying to track down all of the the jedi secrets and stuff that have been lost
0: yeah no exactly there's like interesting like character building stuff going on with luke um but yeah what were your general thoughts on this book kirsty in terms of just a starting point like like where was your level of enjoyment i suppose
1: um it was in flux Mm -hmm. and i think i spoke too soon because i was like oh i'm really loving this book and i didn't expect to you know after all i'd heard about it and people make fun of it all the time really enjoying it and that was like maybe the first quarter or so when it was (laughs) kind of setting up that like love triangle stuff and and han was like showing all his insecurities and self-doubt and then like deciding what he was going to do and like winning the planet and deciding on impulse to take leia there it was all ridiculous but entertaining. And then um once it got into more of like the adventure side of it, I was like, Oh, I'm getting a bit bored. But that's that doesn't feel fair because it was like it came and went, you know? Yeah. There were parts of it that I really enjoyed. I really liked the introduction of of new characters. Like I don't know how to pronounce her name, but Tananial, Tananiel.
0: I-, I think Tananial is a good shot. Um
1: and also just like from the perspective of someone who you know, is big on Raylo fanfic and has read Landscapes of Blair of Conquerors that is, like, based on this book. Yeah. I kind of enjoyed reading more about Ray's parents.
0: Yes. No, no. Like, the thing is, with that fanfiction, I've read so much Raylo fanfiction over the years that I feel like I probably did read Landscapes for Blair of Conquerors, you know, but ages ago, and I barely remember anything about it. Um, which is good so I know it's being published as an original fiction book so I can go in and have more surprise you know over how the story plays out yeah um, but yeah so are Isolde and Tenennial from this book are they essentially raised parents in that fan fiction yes yeah nice
1: well that's like yeah that's a reveal in it so that she's the heir so then she has to marry Leia's heir
0: <gasps> <gasps> who could that be <laughs> no I love it That's beautiful um, but yes, I think what I found with this book is there's so many great ideas and concepts. You know, like, there's not one, but many matriarchal societies in this book, for example. Yeah, so you have the Queen Mother of the Happens, then you have the Sisters, then you have the various clans on Daffemir, um, And they're all kind of, like, linked to all the different people groups on Daffemir, you know, but they all seem to have slightly different ideologies, so they're kind of distinct at the same time. Um, and yeah so there's lots of and ideas going on there but I think what I was really struck by was there's lots of like matriarchal and female led societies in this book but everything in this story is firmly centred on the men's experience of these things yeah yeah and it's, <laughs> it's- very very male gazing in every regard I think
1: it is and I, sh- I don't know if I should go here but it felt almost like fetishistic <laughs> like yes, oh yes, yes, yes. what if i were to be kidnapped and oh, uh,
0: <laughs> become sexually enslaved. Uh, yeah
1: become the uh the husband of this beautiful exotic to me woman it's, yeah. it's just like oh my god
0: yeah no it is um yeah it's just very very old-fashioned retrograde um tropes i suppose and especially like sci fi fantasy tropes, because I think you get stuff like this going back to the probably really old, to be honest, like the 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, I think it goes back a long way. That idea of like sexy women in outer <laughs> space fending for themselves and enslaving these helpless men who can't help but succumb to their jobs. Yeah, it's, it is
1: quite funny that it's like presented as like, wow, these women know what they're doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like,
1: they're making decisions
0: like I did kind of get some pleasure from reading it and like very occasionally you know when they're in like one of the villages of like one of these like female-led groups you'd get like a random like reference to like the men and children were cooking in the background <laughs> it's like... And I was like, okay, I can cope with that. You know, that's like some nice, like, gender role reversal, I suppose. But basically, when you hear about this book having, like, lots of, like, female-led societies and, you know, lots of female characters, all of that is true but just remember that that doesn't make it like instantly progressive or like a great leap.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I still appreciate it as the introduction to the night sisters who are oh, genuinely yeah. cool and obviously that gives way to a sarge as a character who's yes. incredibly complex and, and great fun in the clone wars and, and in dark disciple. So yeah, yeah I I'm thankful to it for that.
0: Yeah, no, so I'm I'm being a bit mean, you know, I'm sort of laying into it, but in I feel affection for this stuff, you know, it's silly, but it's really deeply enjoyable, and I was very entertained by it, you know, all this stuff, it was what I was really enjoying, you know, so I think I tuned out of the book when it was the more action-oriented stuff, you know, towards the end, when it's like the big battle, and there's like the warlord involved, I was like, I have no time for this. Yeah, and they're like
1: going to break into the prison and stuff. I did like the fact that we got more of the Rancors, because especially after the Book of Boba Fett, I was like, oh, Rancors.
0: Yay. <laughs> yeah. No, then they clearly realized that was a selling point because they put a bloody huge Rancor on the cover of the paperback.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, if you enjoy the Rancor in Return of the Jedi, you enjoy him in... Or we got, we've got, actually had a lot of Rancors recently, haven't we? Because we've yeah. got them in the Bad Batch too. Um, it's nice because, you know, you kind of get from... Sounds so silly, but like from the Rancors' perspective, like their experiences in the battle, um, the fact that they like feel affection and and care for their kin, um, very sweet.
0: Yes, in the book of Boba Fett, don't they explicitly name check like Night Sisters of Dathomir in relation to Rancor riding?
1: Yes. So it was quite nice that we got to read this after that.
0: Yeah, no, I think one of the greatest legacies of this book is I think had lots of really great interests and ideas. But in my opinion, it didn't flesh them out particularly well. You know, I didn't find them super convincing in their own right. But then obviously in subsequent Star Wars things, you know, they've been massively expanded and other creators have really like, gone to town with them. You know, like the Sisters are obviously still part of canon and Daphne is part of canon. But like, for example, I think my understanding of the Sisters is that they have a very striking and distinct aesthetic in the Clone Wars. Whereas in this book, I had the feel that It was, everyone was running around in like rags, you know, and it's like a generic forest setting, you know. I didn't get much of a sense of the fact that the setting was particularly distinct or well-imagined, if that makes sense. And that might be unfair. Um, I might just be misremembering or I might have glossed over things. Um, But yeah, I feel like other creators have given much more colour to the ideas that were introduced here. You know, it feels a little bit bare bones. But in a way, I think that's because the novel is doing a lot, you know, and it has lots and lots of different elements in the mix.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very busy.
0: Yes. No, there is a lot going on, I think it's fair to say. Um, Yeah, so obviously the world building, we've already touched upon that a lot. Um, I think what really surprised me after reading this was that I found out that the Happen Empire, this apparently is the first time it was ever introduced. You know, Dave Wolverton came up with that. You know, this is its first appearance.
1: Oh, are you surprised by that?
0: Yes, I was, because I I felt it was introduced in a way in this book that made me think there'd been some prior contact between the Happens and the other, I don't know, groups or sectors of the Star Wars galaxy. You know, the the other factions, I suppose, in the story before this book, because it just feels like such a huge and vast sector of the galaxy to just suddenly be plonked into existence like it is here, but yeah you clearly felt differently which is good
1: i can't remember if it was because i just knew that this was their introduction but of course he is trying to like contextualize it as if they've been there the whole time and like they they need to form this alliance but so far they haven't been allied and and that kind of thing
0: right Um, yeah
1: so maybe it's just a case of him like presenting it as if they've always been there but this is like we don't know anything about legends, so please just humorous guys. But like, I don't us. even know if they <laughs> they turn up in later books. I don't know if this is this is it for older.
0: Yeah, I feel like he does because um, I think they have a daughter, don't they, in Legends? And I think that daughter like gets hooked up with Hanley's son in Legends, which is probably where landscape oh. with a blow of conquerisms was getting the inspiration oh, from. Oh,
1: okay. And then is that person? a student at Luke's Academy?
0: That's a good question. I think she might have been, yes. From, okay. This is all from reading Wikipedia a while ago. But I think she definitely like was in a relationship with Jason Solo and I think she had a child with him.
1: Okay. Yeah, No. Yeah, th- uh, yeah I wasn't sure if that was the, the same person. But yeah, I th- we might have to read those.
0: Yeah. No, it does seem like an interesting story, I must say. Okay, yeah, so another thing that's particularly interesting is there's a link between this book and the Battle for Endor. And I was curious, <laughs> which we talked about on the podcast a while ago. And it's because of the witch, Cheryl. And I think we probably talked about this in the Battle for Endor episode. But I think in some sort of reference book in the 90s, Cheryl was retconned as being a Night Sister. And. I think you get that sort of vibe, you know, because there's lots of references to the sort of things that Cheryl does in terms of the behaviour of the Night Sisters in this book, so I can understand why the link was made. Um, did you pick up on that at all, Kirsty, or had that escaped your memory? What was that, sorry? Oh, sorry, I was just saying. Um, you know, Charol, so the witch character from Battle for Endor, the wonderful oh, TV movie. Yeah. She was retconned as the Night Sister oh my God, that's right. yeah. in the 90s, so off the back of this book, essentially. So it all comes full, cer- full okay. circle, it's all connected.
1: I didn't feel like that was a huge connection, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I-, I felt like the main thing was that... <laughs> Can you remember in Battle for Or there was the whole thing where they were like you know, they'd got trapped on the um, planet or whatever, and they were, like, desperately trying to get some sort of, like, piece of space equipment to get off planet, you know, to fix their ship, or to, like, repair, or to, like, steal someone else's ship. (laughs) This this is all stuff that happened, I promise, I'm not (laughs) hallucinating. And then, there's, like, a similar vibe in this book, where, you know, the Ancestors of the Night Sisters crashed on Daffamir and then they couldn't get off. <laughs> so they, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <they have similes laughs> all these <laughs> crash landings. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's what it reminded me of. And um, we actually have an explanation from Tenennial of all this. Um, could you read out the passage of highlighted, please, Kirsty? Sorry, it's quite long.
1: Long ago, she said, the old ones came from the stars. They were warriors, masters of machines who built forbidden weapons, machine warriors that looked like men, and they sold them to others, cheap. Your people cast them out of the sky for their crimes and sent them here. The warriors were given no weapons, no metal, no blasters, so they fell prey to rancors. T'neniel half-closed her eyes. She'd heard the story so many times that now she envisioned that distant past, saw the prisoners sent to Daphneir. They were violent people who had committed gross crimes against civilization and who therefore merited only a life outside civilization? Many of the prisoners considered themselves above the law and thought of their weapons only as toys, so the ancients had considered it just to strand them on a world without technology. For many generations they lived like beasts and were nearly hunted to extinction until the star people cast out Alia. Luke had a faraway look in his eye, the way old Rel did when she saw visions. This Alia was a rogue Jedi, Luke said with certainty, leaning forward. The Old Republic did not want to execute her, so the Jedi exiled her, hoping that given time she would turn away from the dark side. Tineniel said, She used her spells to tame the wild Rancors and hunt food. She taught her daughters all of her lore, and taught them to hunt for their mates, even as I hunted for you. While Rancors dined on others, the daughters of Alia prospered from generation to generation, teaching their own daughters the spells. We divided into clans, and for a long time the clans vied for men in friendly competition, stealing mates. We governed ourselves, punished anyone caught using the night spells. In my grandmother's day, we pushed the wild rancors from these mountains. My grandmothers hunted the last of them. We hoped for peace at last. But in my mother's time, the outcast night sisters gathered together. At first, they were not many, but. Some of you tried to fight them using their own tactics, Luke offered. And those who did became night sisters themselves.
0: So, yeah, this gives a sense for how wild this book is. <laughs> And again, it's very ambitious, you know, which is something I really admire about it, you know, that it's doing so much heavy lifting, you know, of the world building. Like, you cannot fault this book for on ambition. You know, it's wildly ambitious (laughs) and it's doing a lot. And I do actually like uh, hearing you read out this excerpt reminded me of the fact that often Dave does go into, like, Tenennial's perspective of things, you know, and you really get her point of view, which I appreciated, so I felt like, Reading this book, I understood more about Tenayil's perspective of things than Leia's, for example. You know, which seems ironic considering the book's courtship of Princess Leia. But whatever. <laughs> At least it got it made one female character feel somewhat fleshed out and interesting.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting backdrop, and I really enjoyed a lot of like the discussions about light and dark and the force between Luke and Tenielle. Yeah, because she was like shocked that he was a man who could use the force. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so, what sort of male witch is this? <laughs> yeah. No, I loved that too. It was really interesting. Um, and yeah, just the idea of there being like an outcast Jedi, you know, who started this sort of splinter group, you know, and created the Night Sisters. So like, how much do you remember of the mythology of the Night Sisters in the Clone Wars? Is that established there too? That they were sort of founded by a rogue Jedi?
1: I don't know, actually. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember any specifics.
0: Yeah, maybe yet another reason for me to go and watch at least certain arcs of the Clone Well, Wars.
1: But they're tied up a lot in the, the Mole arcs. Okay. And obviously, the whole Savage Press, like they come from Daphne too. Yeah, so. <laughs> Savage Press. I know, I <laughs> <Sorry>. know. <laughs>
0: I, kn- I knew that character, I knew that silly. name was a thing, but just hearing it said aloud something
1: <laughs> else. I like those episodes though.
0: <laughs> no, I'm sure. Is Savage Press like Maul's brother or something? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine looking at your like little kids being like, I am going to call you Darth Maul. I know Darth is like a title, but whatever. I'm gonna call you Darth Maul. I'm going to call you Savage Press. <laughs> What are the other children called like <laughs> murderous genocide or something. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, it's funny. Um. But yeah, just really interesting ideas, and I think part of this made me sort of like a bit wistful, you know, because I I've read like we've obviously read quite a few new canon books as well, and I've enjoyed a lot of them, but they're obviously much more heavily controlled. Than this sort of thing, you know, and you really get a sense with this book that Dave felt like he could do anything he wanted, you know, that he'd come up with really wild ideas and just throw stuff at the wall. You know, whereas I feel like everything is much more planned and like plotted out now. And there's benefits to doing that, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it does mean that you get more conservative stories, you know, and you get ideas that are a bit less crazy, (laughs) I suppose. And yeah, I think it's so nice, it's good to have really outlandish ideas in Star Wars books.
1: Yeah, definitely keeps things interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: It's okay. bold. I admire the ambition.
0: Exactly. Very, very bold. Um, and yeah, and I actually found a little interview with um, Dave where he spoke about his personal awareness of the Night Sisters being incorporated into the Clone Wars. Um, could you read out that, please, Custody? It's very short. Sure. I think mm-hmm. it's from an interview on the Forcenet boards.
1: Are you aware of how important the mythology of Daphomir ended up being to the Clone Wars TV series? Yeah. I remember when I wrote it, I hoped that other people who were writing the Star Wars universe and making future books, movies, and games would make use of it. I'm glad to see that it was used for video games in the TV series. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we'll see a Witch of Daphomir in an upcoming movie.
0: Yeah. I really oh and that's sad because he never got to see that yeah
1: that yeah. must be really validating though to know that yeah. like you've genuinely left your mark on this like shared universe yeah and no, then exactly. they'll just take it and run with it
0: yeah no, he'll always go down in Star Wars history for that won't he because yeah they're quite an important part of the mythos now mm-hmm. and I must say having read this book I'd really really love to see the happens like reincorporated into like new canon in air quotes again so I think it's such an interest in civilization and culture Um, And yeah, there's just lots of really great gems of ideas and how they're presented here. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay, so let's do a little run through some of the characters. So yeah, how did you feel (laughs) about how Leia was um, presented in this book, I suppose, Kirsty? Obviously, we've touched on this, but now's the time to let loose, I suppose. Uh... (laughs) Uh...
1: (laughs) I'm not sure, to be honest. Like I said, I enjoyed it. So it like, and I just kind of, I guess because now it's no longer canon as well, there's like a step removed, like I just kind of enjoyed it for what it was and went along for the ride. And mm-hmm. if Leia fell out of character at some point, it wasn't a huge deal. But I can imagine if you were reading this in like the 90s, so you were still kind of very much in OT mode because the prequels hadn't even come out yet, you were very attached to these characters, um, you might be a bit more <laughs> annoyed and confused. We've had so much Star Wars media since then that you just kind of have to roll with it if people feel out a character because someone else is writing them for once. That's just kind of the reality, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, and because much. it was going
1: for such like a strong vibe because he's like cited Seven Brides for Seven Brothers as the material to fit Leia into that kind of you know romantic farce, you have to change a character a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. How do you feel? Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> I i think what it reminded me of is there's a quote that Carrie Fisher gave to Rolling Stone in 1983, and she was talking about how Leia was characterised in like the first Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back specifically, and she said, the only way they knew to make the character strong was to make her angry. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of really felt that vibe from how Leia was characterised in this book, because she's either been like very much a diplomat you know very like calm collected and professional you know she's putting alderaan's interests the galaxy's interests above her personal feelings and what she might want for herself you know that's why she considers the marriage proposal with his um because she thinks it might benefit her people essentially um but besides that she's really just getting cross with han and being like oh han (laughs) and You know, there's lots of squabbling. And I know exactly what Dave's doing, you know, and how he's writing it. So he's trying to capture that squabbling that goes on between them in the movies, which they absolutely do have. But I I, I don't know. I think especially in Return of the Jedi, you also get a lot of tenderness between yeah. and Leia. And I didn't feel much of that in this book.
1: It did feel like a bit of a reset on their relationship in a way. And I guess if you're going to have like something with real drama, you do have to do something like that because... Of course by the end of return of the jedi they're they're reciprocating their feelings openly like people know about their relationship like it's all it's all neatly wrapped up right and there's the whole happily ever after aspect to it so it did kind of feel like steps back to them and like oh they're still bickering and she's still not comfortable telling him how she feels that's a bit strange but i just kind of accepted it for what it was
0: yeah no i think that's the best way to enjoy it really you can't like, think too much about these things. Think yeah, I think the bit. key
1: is just to not take it too seriously.
0: Yeah. No, exactly. But I must say, reading, I, I still find it fascinating to see how the Han and Leia relationship is presented in this book. They made me even more excited for the new book we're getting about the Han and Leia relationship later this year. Um, because... Yeah, I, I'm sure it will probably be much stronger on the romance I think, between them. And hopefully with no bride kidnapping. Um, because yeah, it's it's char tra- cute in this context, you know, and very entertaining, I'll give it that. But I don't really need that to be part of the official story of Han and Leia's love.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I Although I did to an extent, I did find it quite realistic that Han would continue to be kind of insecure about his class status compared yeah, to Leia's. That's true. So, like, even though he's a general now and everything, because she has that title of princess too, I always thought, like, he might have a bit of a chip on his shoulder about that.
0: Oh, but don't you know he's actually the descendant well, of Well, actually, royalty. he's royalty.
1: not. Not really. <laughs>
0: <That's>, yeah. <I laughs> that did was love a that bit of a twist, again. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that was actually—is it Luke at the end, and he like sort of covers Freepio's mouth and stuff? Yeah, uh, I did actually feel that was a really genuinely funny moment. You know, that was very much accurate to the sort of thing that would happen in one of the films. I could picture yeah. it playing out in my mind. So yeah, I appreciated that.
1: Freepio was great throughout. Yes. I really enjoyed him.
0: Yeah, no, he was really good. He got a lot of very good quality material this time. Um, and yeah, so tying into that, you can't really separate them with Han. Like it wasn't all bad, but I've gotta say I found him really, really heavily questionable <laughs> for a lot of this book. Um and again, obviously, you know, give him a break, like the whole idea of the bride cup kidnapping it is quite innocuous and in how it's framed, you know, there aren't it's done without the sinister implications of that act in real life, you know. It's it's not a good thing, not recommended by any means. Um but yeah, I don't know, he just seems like really I don't know how to put it. Like ill-tempered, macho, insecure. There's just like nothing attractive about him. You know, and whereas there's a lot attractive about Han Solo in the films, you know. So in the films, you totally see why Leia would fall for this guy. But in this book, I was just like, God, what a sad sack. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he just It seems like he's drunk for a lot of the early chapters. Yeah, like
1: when he goes to the casino, he's like, I'll oh, win her a planet, that'll work. Oh, oh, I'll kidnap her and take her to the planet.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> Actually, that's really great timing because I might have that scene here because I thought it was so incredibly amazing. <laughs> would you mind trying to read out? It's relatively long, but I think it's worth it.
1: When Leia answered her door chimes at the old Iranian consulate, she found Han there, bathed in sweat, his hair a mess, his clothes looking baggy. He reeked of smoke, and he smiled at her enormously, his bloodshot eyes gleaming with joy. He had a small box in his hand, wrapped in gold-coloured foil. Open it, Han said, shoving the box into her hand. Open it. (laughs) Leia untied the strings, pulled the foil open. It was a registry chip, one of the old kind with a hollow cube built in. She thumbed the switch, watched the planet materialise in the air before her, a scene from space showing the planet. Thin pink clouds shone at the edge of the terminus, dividing night from day, and generous storm clouds swirled out from the ocean. In the background, four small moons hovered. She studied the continents, green with life. Vast purple savannas, exquisitely small ice caps at the poles. Oh, Han, she said, her breath coming ragged with excitement. Her whole face seemed to be lit up, glowing. What is its name? Daphomir. Daphomir, she frowned in concentration. I've heard of it. Somewhere. Where is it located? In the Drakmar system. I won it from Warlord Omog. <laughs> she, she went to her console, locked into Coruscant's computer network, asking for the coordinates to Daphomir. It must have taken the huge computer bank some time to locate the files, for they waited nearly a minute before coordinates came upon screen. Leia looked into Han's face, saw his manic joy turned into a frown. But... But that can't be, Han said. That's in the Quelly sector. Warlord Zing's territory.
0: <laughs> I, I honestly, just a quick pause. I love the crazy like sci fi names. I know. You know, like it's such a trope of sci fi novels, especially from the nineties. Where like every other word is just complete nonsense.
1: <laughs> Leia Sorry. smiled regretfully, rubbed Han's hair as if he were a kid. Oh, you sweet shaggy nerve herder. I knew it was too good to be true. "'Still, it was kind of you to offer. "'You know, you really are so kind to me.' "'She gave him a quick peck on the cheek. "'Go on home and get some sleep,' Leia said, as if distracted. "'You won't do yourself any good thinking about it. "'This ought to teach you never to play cards with a Drakmarion.' "'She escorted him out of the door of the old Orinian consulate, "'and Hans stood for a moment, rubbing his eyes, "'trying to keep awake and think at the same time. "'He looked up at the towering buildings above him, "'and the sunlight was thin, "'as if he were locked deep under a jungle canopy.' He'd imagined that Leia would love her new world, had imagined how she would collapse in his arms with joy. He planned to wait till that moment, then ask her to marry him, yet now all he'd won was a worthless piece of real estate, and Leia had tousled his hair as if he were a kid brother. I probably look pretty stupid right now, Han thought, stupid and grungy. He jingled the money in his pocket, enough credit chips so he could get the Falcon out of Hark. Fortunately, Chewbacca had had the foresight to pull that much out of the pot. Nearly two billion credits won and lost. Han was feeling too old to cry, almost. He stumbled back through the grey streets of Coruscant to a small apartment that he kept on planet, just hoping for some sleep. <laughs> so the context of this is that like Leia was talking to him about how they needed to find a new planet for Alderon. Yes. Right? Yeah yeah. And he was like, Oh, well, I'll, I'll be the hero, and then she'll fall in love with me again. But <laughs> the, the planet is not suitable because it's like in this system that's like owned by the civil warlord, so Han decides to go anyway, and he kidnaps Leia and forces her to go with him, and he's like, stay on this planet with me for a week, and then if you see if you fall in love with me again.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very um, well-thought-out, convincing argument. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's peculiar, I, I think it's safe to say, as a premise. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of fascinating, because building on stuff that you do get in the movies you know you, Han is obviously a bit of a gambler you know you get that vibe from the films Um but it's just extrapolated to quite an extreme where he yeah he seems like a bit of an alcoholic I guess and he also has a gambling problem he has a real problem
1: well that is a Han Solo thing right
0: yes that is true yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that does historically get him into trouble so yeah what what do I know clearly Dave <laughs> knows Han Solo much better than I do <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's just so funny because you can tell that Han just feels like humiliated by being friendzoned, <laughs> in the and it's just like, and you can just see how it's being written: quick peck on the cheek, rubbing his head and stuff. And it's like, no, fate worse than death. Um, so yeah, no, and again, I think that passage just reinforces what we were saying before about. How's it all very much a male perspective. Like, I want to get into Leia's head when that happens. You know, like, she must... Yeah, God knows what she's thinking then.
1: Yeah, I guess she does really get her hopes up for a second. Thinks that all her problems are solved.
0: Yeah. Oh, great. What a convenient planet. How handy.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. I guess Star Wars does this, but, like, the idea of a planet being, oh, I can buy this planet and it's uninhabited and we can move these other people in and <laughs> it'll be fine. It's like, okay... <laughs> Cool. Yeah,
0: no, it's um questionable, <laughs> I think, to put it mildly. Um, so yeah, Leia's other love interest is a soldier, who is like the prince of the Happies, um, people. <laughs> happies, Happies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, that's why you got to say Hapes. Yeah, okay. Because yeah, yeah. Happies just sounds or Happies! <laughs> Hapies, ha- hape- hapes, but then that's like Herpes.
0: Hey, yeah, I'm gonna say Hapes. You're right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Leia's um, other main love interest is Prince Isolde, who is the. like He's not even Crown Prince because he doesn't stand the hope in hell of getting the throne because it's a matriarchal society. Um, but yeah, he's the son of the Queen Mother of the Haps culture. Uh, and I was almost about to go horribly wrong when I said that, but I caught myself. Um, and yeah, I, I saw a Goodreads review that described him as Space Mike Bolton. <laughs> And ever since I saw that and I saw the picture that person included, I literally can't imagine Light is older in any other way. He's just like a nineties guy with long curly blonde hair to me now.
1: Yeah, or like a Fabio or something. Like very cheesy romantic novel yes. stereotype.
0: Exactly. Because I think one of the defining um characteristics of, you know, the Haps people is that they're all extremely, extremely good looking. And it's very important that you know that, and it's repeatedly reinforced throughout this book. So, yeah, it doesn't let you forget. (laughs) (laughs) Almost like to a Zoolander, extreme, I must say. Uh, Yeah, and there's a backstory to why they're all so good looking, but I won't go into that. It's like, no, people don't need to know that. Yeah, so to give people a vibe for the courtship between Isolde and Leia and how it compares to what, whatever the hell Han was doing, could you read out the passage I've highlighted, please, Kirsty?
1: Mm-hmm. He held her hands and Leia smiled wistfully. Isolde said, take a few days, spend some time with your friends, say your goodbyes if you feel that you must, I understand. And if it makes you feel any better, then just repeat what you said to the old Iranian council. You are coming to Hapes for a visit, nothing more. There are no strings attached, no obligations. His words slid over her like a wave of warm water, buoying her spirits. Oh, Isolde, thank you for understanding. She leaned into his chest and Isolde put his arms around her. For a moment, Leia was tempted to add, I love you. (laughs) But knew it was too soon to speak those words. Knew it was too much of a commitment. Isolde whispered softly into her ear, I love you.
0: And this is literally like...
1: Is this like a day after they've met? Is it the yeah. same day? Like
0: Yeah. I think this might be the most out of character part of the book for Leia, to be honest. The idea that she yeah. would fall in is love this with this really... guy so quickly.
1: It's like I kind of get what Dave Wolverton is going for, and that she's like caught in the middle between like her real feelings and her duty as a princess. Yeah. But it's not executed well here. It's like it actually makes Leia into I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like very inconsistent.
0: Bit for four, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like changes her mind completely depending on who she's with. Um, yeah. yeah
0: so and it just seems one. to be exclusively a response to the fact that he's like a super nice person and is really like kind and considerate. and And those are good reasons, you know, to like form a close attachment to someone. But i don't think they'd make you instantly fall in love with the other person
1: well and this early on as well he doesn't seem to have much of a personality beyond that it's like he's clearly been raised for this purpose which again might play into the whole thing we were talking about earlier of it like being more of like a weird romantic fantasy rather than like anything that feels not realistic because that's silly but like grounded in how people actually behave
0: yeah there's He's no given... real psychology going on
1: yeah he kind of goes on his own journey through the course of the book and obviously him and tenenny end up falling in love which is the thing that's not supposed to happen because she's interested in luke and all that so it is very much like wires crossed and people falling for people they shouldn't really be falling for yeah but at this moment it's like you're just in love with her because that's what you've been told to do
0: <laughs> yeah no, it's really, really quite extraordinary. <laughs> um, I, and yeah, just reading it, you just sort of like do a double take, I think, because you're like, wow, th- th- this was Legends. Okay. And the thing is, I know that in some quarters, this book is not well regarded. You know, I'm sure there's much more acclaimed versions of the character in Legends, you know, and there's stories where later it's much better written. But um, yeah, as an introduction, this was quite wild, you know, what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's just talk a little bit more about Tenennial so she's like the granddaughter of her clan leader um, and her clan is called the Singing Mountain clan um, which is very nice Um, I guess they do sing I I can't clearly remember scenes where they do but it doesn't dwell on that for whatever reason Um, but yeah her main (laughs) (laughs) so her main characteristics A. that she can do magic and B, that she's really trying very, very hard to hunt down a man that she can forcibly marry. Those are, like, the main things going on. <laughs> that th- There is more to her. I'm being a little bit unkind, you know, and I I do think the relationship they build up with her and Isolde is quite sweet, you know, And a, you, this romance is forbidden, you're never meant to be together, everyone is against you sort of way, you know, it's, I think it's a good foundation to a story. You know, but just in terms of how she's written, it's very funny.
1: It's very silly. But I also, as I said, like I enjoyed her interactions with Luke too, because he's the one she first wants to marry. And like there's obviously an element of physical attraction between them. But Luke is like, I'm not interested in having a relationship. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Um. Actually, on that note, I have the perfect quote to capture that. So could you read out what I've highlighted, please? This is about all and Luke.
1: Okay. She'd placed his hands in a woodstock, then tied them with woof leather The stupid off-worlders, both men, struggled secretly when they thought she was not looking, and this pleased her. The handsome one, he was no more than a commoner, beautiful but unable to cast spells, but this male witch, he was a catch to prize. "'You will be my mate?' Tenennial asked, hopefully. The male witch licked his lips, looked at her, (laughs) not just at her face, but at her body, and Tineniel realised with a start that he thought she was attractive (laughs) (laughs) okay
0: yeah I think this goes back to your point Kirsty about this being like a weird fantasy
1: yeah and also and I'm sure it's not just this book so as I read more Legends books I I feel like this is going to become a thing for me that I'm starting to realise why more fans were not happy with the new canon Luke
0: yes Yes, he's I really want to different. go into this. He's so different. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, he's... He feels much more earthy in this book than he does in New Canon. You know, he's much more, like, remote and mystical, I think. Or mm. at least he's aspiring to be those things in New Canon, you know, even if he's not completely successful
1: yeah like even the early stuff like not just the last jedi but now they're tying in the stuff of the mandalorian and that he's like very much more like a monk
0: yeah he's like very ascetic in how he comes across whereas here he's like a bit of a horn dog. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for people probably don't want to hear that word associated with luke skywalker but no, it's but true like,
1: this book wants you to know that luke skywalker has touched a boob
0: yeah yeah like
1: literally that's what happens it makes a point of like oh he grazed her breast <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. There's just some very inexplicable scenes. Like there's one of him with the queen mother of the um hapes, and it's just like, why did that happen? (laughs) It's like it's not an all-out sex scene, but it's very suggestive.
1: Everyone's attracted to Luke Skywalker.
0: Yeah, like they really, really want you to know that. I, and honestly, reading this, it was just making me like cackle over anyone who's ever like complained about Ray and her supposedly being too perfect, because so much of this book is given over to people being like, "Oh my God, Luke's so incredible and powerful and sexy and wonderful." It's just a,
1: it's a given with Luke, yeah. I guess. He's the one.
0: Exactly. So yeah it does it's interesting it gives me more context for why people were so like not my Luke <laughs> <laughs> about sequel trilogy Luke um because yeah this is batshit wild what's going on here um yeah the boy however it's, let's move on to Luke Lukefully now um Yeah, there were aspects of Luke that I liked in this. I liked that he seemed to have more of like a normal relationship with Leia, you know, characterised by actual warmth and affection, you know, which Mm. I haven't really seen elsewhere. Um, So yeah, we have a little excerpt where Luke is providing advice to Leia on what to do about her prospective marriage alliance. So could you read out that little section, please, Kirsty?
1: "'Good,' Leia said. "'I'd like you nearby.' In the meantime, Luke offered, take things slowly. Find out how you feel. You don't have to decide between the two in a day. Forget about as Isolde's wealth. You wouldn't be marrying his planets, you'd be marrying him. Just give him the same consideration you would give to any other man, okay? Leia nodded, suddenly became conscious of how much this call would cost. Thank you, she said. I'll see you soon. I love you, Luke said, and he faded. So that's
0: nice. It is nice, and... Yeah, again, it just feels completely absent (laughs) in the new version we have. I know. The thought of Luke saying the words, I love you, is almost inconceivable, you know. And yeah, it's interesting. And I I kind of like that they do that with Luke here, you know. It does make him feel much more like, I don't know, a human. (laughs) Not to say he isn't human in the sequel trilogy. And I think a lot of this comes back to, you know, criticisms we've expressed before about trying to resurrect the bad qualities of the Jedi, you know, the lack of attachment and the emphasis on keeping everything somewhat impersonal. Um, so yeah, in that regard, I did like this and reading this actually reminded me of the fact that all this was written before the prequels and before there was that suggestion that, you know, the old Republic Jedi, well, it's not really the old Republic is, it's just the Republic. Yeah. The Republic Jedi, they practice no attachments, you know, and that they were that more ascetic. Style of religious order, you know, mm. because Dave Wolfdom was obviously writing without that context, you know, so what it was to be a Jedi could be pretty much anything those early legends writers wanted. And clearly, in their vision of what Luke would be and how he'd be as a Jedi, there was nothing about that that forbade him from having close relationships with people, whether his sister or potential romantic interests, <laughs> as, as we see. So, yeah. Did that strike yeah. you?
1: Um, not really, but just I guess because I I was already aware of it. Like I know that Luke has, I mean, we know about Mara Jade right? Sure. There's no, yeah. there's nothing forbidden about that stuff. Whereas as you say, looking at like new canon, it's kind of more beholden to that idea and the fact that Luke chose to go down the path of of trying to bring the Jedi Order back as he understood it. Um, yeah. But in this, he is actually looking for Jedi artifacts, but like you say we don't have the context for the jedi in the same way that we do now so yeah. it's more like i don't know i don't know what he would expect to find yeah he's looking for like the this male version of jocasta Nu. yes the it's archivist true.
0: yeah and, and it, if you remember um there was some conflict between yoda and the night sisters in the past
1: yeah he calls them repulsive, yeah, he calls them repulsive. Yes. i guess in terms of like them being darksiders
0: I guess so? Yeah, like I think that's probably the implication. Yeah, but all that stuff is left pretty oblique, I think in this story. So I get the impression that Dave was seeding like a ton of little things future writers could pick upon in mm. subsequent books, and I'm sure they did with a bunch of the stuff, but maybe not everything. Yeah. Um and yeah, so I alluded to this earlier, but there is an interesting <laughs> encounter between luke and the queen mother of the haps who's um queen who's princess Older's mother um see so yeah, I could you read this out and obviously it's even more inexplicable for reading it out of our context
1: yeah i embarrassingly i still don't know how to pronounce her like title
0: tachume tachume <laughs> i think you were fine just go for it okay yeah.
1: may i see your face you flatter me tachume said laughing lightly behind her golden veils her beauty was hidden And in all of hapes no man would ever have been so bold as to ask but this luke was simply a barbarian who did not know he was asking for something that was forbidden to his older's surprise his mother pulled up her veil for one eternal moment the jedi gazed into her startlingly dark green eyes the cascades of red hair and held his breath in all of hapes few women could vie with the tachume for her beauty is older wondered if perhaps skywalker had noticed his mother's discreet advances after all then tachume dropped her veil Luke bowed low, and in that moment, his voice seemed, his face seemed to go hard, as if he had peered into Tartumi and did not like what he'd seen. Now I see why your people venerate you, he offered casually, and he left. Ooh, Luke can see beyond the beauty. He can see the ugliness within.
0: <laughs> He's just that good. He's just, yeah. Luke's but he amazing. needed to see her
1: face in order to read that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's weird. So it's kind of like. Really sexualized, even though I think, like you say, the point is that he's seen beyond the appearance. He's above such nonsense. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> the earthly
1: pleasures of the flesh.
0: Although, if you think about it, she clearly represents the physical type that he does later fall for because she's the same features <laughs> he likes as the Mara redheads. Jade. Yeah, he likes redheads. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, that's amazing. Um, and yeah, on, on the Queen Mother, so as it turns out in this story, she's quite the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last chapters, and obviously she's behaving in a shady fashion. Even in the early chapters, you know they make it clear that you're not meant to trust her. You know, but her like full like evilness, I suppose, comes out. And I think a lot of it is there's like a lot of snobbery going on. Yeah, like it's a royal family, it's a monarchy, you know, and it's kind of like an absolute autocracy, you know, and they like don't want anything to threaten that you know so there's lots of emphasis on bullshit like keeping the bloodline pure you know and only marrying people of a certain rank so she obviously resists the proposal of the marriage between Isolde and Tenennial after they fall in love during the course of the novel um and yeah could you just read out the little encounter where she discovers that news Kirsty?
1: I have an announcement that will also will affect your people Prince Isolde said from a cushion beside his mother and he rose to his feet reached out his hand across the room. Tenennial Joe, the granddaughter of Orguin Joe, has consented to be my wife.' "'No!' Tachume shouted, and she stood, glad at her son. "'You can't marry a woman from this uncivilised little mudhole. "'I forbid it! She can't be the Queen Mother of Hapes.' "'She's a princess, with her own world to inherit,' Isolde said. "'I think that is qualification enough. "'You've plenty of years left to sit on the throne, and in that time you can train her. "'Even if she is a princess?' The Queen Mother said, Something that I doubt you could successfully argue. Her family has held deed to this world for less than five minutes. She has no royal blood in her, no lineage. But I love her, Isolde said, and with or without your permission, I will marry her. You fool, Tatumay hissed. Do you think I would allow that?
0: Um, and yeah, then it goes on for quite some time, but it's basically listing all the people she's murdered and why. Um, and without getting really into the weeds of all the intrigues and stuff that happen in the book um, it would make no sense to read out that part so yeah I think this part alone does a good job of capturing the fact that she's not a particularly nice person um, and yeah that she's someone to be suspicious of again like it's the sort of thing where it's fading quickly from my mind even though I finished it yesterday (laughs) but my recollection from having finished it yesterday is that there really aren't many consequences for her to deal with after coming out of like a long list of murders, stuff that she's committed? <laughs> you know, like she's still Because well, who mother. would she be
1: beholden to? As like, she's yeah, the leader of her society. So
0: yeah, I, I guess yeah, you're right. She's not really subject to any authority, is she? So <laughs> I think if I were Zelda, though, I would have just run away. You know, I'd have been like, no, screw this. You're probably going to murder me, aren't you? <laughs> so.
1: Well, yeah. Now I kind of want to see the story of her like to or moving in <laughs> becoming part of the hape society yes how is that going to go smoothly
0: yeah no same um because yeah i, I do know things but I, I won't say what i know um because hopefully well there will be a book about that story and we can read it because yeah. i would also be interested
1: it's weird because i know stuff like through the thick, but i don't know what's actually consistent and what's different
0: Right, I see. God, that's such an interesting filter to experience it through, isn't it? Yeah, I
1: feel like I should have read this book a long time ago, because, you know, that book, that fic's years old at this point, and it's obviously probably the most famous Raylo fic ever, or at least, like, one with the most hits.
0: I really hope that in, like, honour of Dave Wolverton, you know, this new book that's coming out that's, like, inspired by, like, the civilization he created, it becomes, like, a huge bestseller, you know, and people can one day draw like a direct genealogical line from the courtship of Princess Leia through to this Raylo fanfic turned to best selling novel because we have precedent for that now, you know, Love Hypothesis is a mega hit, so yeah.
1: Thea is a huge Legends fan. Like, I've learned so much of Legends just by, like, reading the footnotes on all her fics. Nice. Because they all tie in to, like, stuff that's already there in the Star Wars universe. I know all fics do that, but, like, hers especially. She has extensive footnotes and references. No, it's great.
0: And I I think reading this actually really made me want to reread the fic because, you know, there's so much I like about the ideas here, but I just don't really like a lot of the execution and it mainly comes down to... You know the character stuff being absent and not really buying the emotional stuff when that should really be what's most important in a story like this. And yeah. I, I know I could trust Fia to do like a better job, basically. Yeah,
1: maybe we should just go and reread it.
0: Yeah, maybe we should. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I will go and check that out. I think it's been taken off AO3. Oh. But I know there's lots of like PDFs floating around and okay, stuff. Okay. You know, yeah. You can still find it. Um. So yeah, we'll look into that. Um, but yeah do you have any closing words about this novel Kirsty, as we finish
1: I would say if you're a fan of Thea's fic you should definitely read this because I really feel like I got a lot out of it in that respect like it was nice to see all those connections made and also just in general like the idea of characters being stranded and crash landing on a planet and having to work together and everything obviously very tropey stuff but it did remind me a lot of those early fics I would read in the the fandom of like Ray and Kylo fighting and then crashing somewhere and having to work together. And that was kind of like the premise for how they would bridge that gap. Um, it can be really effective, you know? So yeah. I was very happy to see Han and Leia kind of resolve their conflicts at the end of it and admit that they did love each other. Yeah. Like, at least we got that.
0: Exactly, because as much as I think that cover art is false advertising, the book does actually end with the wedding, which is good. It's very brief, and I will actually read that that out so people can experience that. Um, let's find it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Luke stood at the back. St- obviously, it's from Luke's perspective, because that's what we all care about at Han and Leia's <laughs> wedding. Staring up at the marble altar, where Han and Leia knelt across from one another, holding hands across the altar... The officiator stood in his emerald robes of office, leading Leia in her vows. She turned and glanced at Luke, the diadems in her veil flashing in the light, and Luke could feel that she was not angry at him for having arrived late, only grateful that he had made it. And at that moment, Leia was more serene, more content, than she had ever been in her life, and perhaps she was as filled with joy as anyone could be oh so that's literally how it ends this is sweet yeah
1: unequivocal happy ending that's nice
0: yeah exactly there's not enough of those in star wars um (laughs) so yeah no i i had fun you know it's far away from being the best star wars book you know but it's enjoyable pulp fiction you know and i think if you like sort of cheesy old-fashioned sci-fi you'd get something from it you know, especially if you go into it with the right mindset. You know, you need to go in expecting something a bit light-hearted and silly and whatnot.
1: And if you enjoy three P O, you know, he's he's singing, he's doing all sorts. <laughs> he's definitely a main character.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, that's a really good point. He's uh, trying to play
1: matchmaker with Han and Leia. <laughs>
0: yeah and he comes up with a song how did we forget the song oh my god you know, there's a wonderful song he comes up with um, that is I don't think it has a title as such but it does have a refrain which is Han Solo what a man <laughs> a- and that's it that's like the catchy hook <laughs> so- it's really weird it's presented in a way like it's a real gotcha you know like it should be this like really legendary like hook you know to the song it's like it doesn't even rhyme <laughs> <laughs> like, well Puncha. it
1: gets into leia's head han catches her humming it <laughs> which is really funny
0: yeah it's like um Kirsty <laughs> sent me the link to um the song that's what it
1: sounded like to in my head okay yeah,
0: yeah. well that's the only way to make it work, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, you've really got to um, extrapolate. I think from what's on the page. Um, so yeah, it is silly but entertaining and fun. So yeah, if you're willing to take the book not too seriously, I think you'd have a good time. Um, yeah, so it's great. Um, wanted to let people know that we're going to take a little bit of a break for this month because there's some holidays and just like personal stuff happening that we're busy with this month. Um, See, so yeah, I think we'll probably reconvene like late March or early April. Does that sound about right, Kirsty?
1: Yeah, and then I guess we'll maybe at that point we'd have a Kenobi trailer.
0: I'd hope so. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: there'll be something to talk about.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll be cooking up other stuff as well. There's always Star Wars things to talk about. We're fine, and also <laughs> non-Star Wars things. Now that we talk about our broader media <laughs> interests. <laughs> oh my god okay so let's round it off there so i'm rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel 1918
1: i'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on twitter at scavengers horde
0: until next time bye
1: bye